today, but if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn in the Old Testament, uh, second book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Uh, if you would, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, uh, page 61 uh, in there, we'll have the verses uh, for you on the screen uh, as well. As you're turning there, I was sitting... Uh, at the dentist office uh, in the the dentist chair a few weeks back uh, when I heard those words that I dread hearing when I visit the dentist. It was the words, we need to get some x-rays today. And uh, here's the problem for me. I have a serious gag reflex issue. And uh, so anytime they put anything into my mouth, well, it's always going to be quite a sight. And uh, I don't know what it is about it. You know, they put that little piece of plastic in, but for me, it feels like a Frisbee uh, that they're stuffing in my mouth. And then they put like a Ziploc bag around it. And so it's just way too much. And so they've come, they, they've really gotten to know me uh, at the dentist's office and find the humor in it. And uh, I, my, my hygienist, she knows that on my day at the dentist and when it's x-ray time that she's going to get a workout too, that she's got to get this contraption in my mouth in just the right place and then sprint to push the button because I'm going to lose it in a matter of seconds. And, uh, you know, again, I dread, I I go to the dentist twice a year. And of course, one of those visits always involves these x-rays, but because I like taking care of my teeth, you know, I'm willing to push through it. I'm willing to set aside my dignity uh, as difficult as it may be and endure and push through uh, these x-rays. Well, we're in the second week of a series here at Genesis that we're called How to Get Through what you're going through. The, the basic questions are, what, what do you do when life gets uncomfortable? Uh, how, how do you get through times of pain and suffering? And what, what role, what part does the Lord want to play in each of these? And last week, we talked about uh, three stages of faith that most of us go through at some point in our spiritual journey. Uh, the first stage is a stage that some have referred to as a confident uh, stage of faith. And uh, most likely, and for most people, this is when you first come find your way back to God. This is when you first trust Christ, maybe get baptized. And so it's an exciting stage of life, an exciting stage of faith. And uh, if church is new to you, then maybe church is very exciting and you look forward to worship. This is a a stage of faith, a stage of life that can last for a long time. And we're learning about things like prayer and obedience. And, you know, our eyes are open to the word of God. And again, we see some exciting things that are happening in life. It's this stage called the, the confidence stage. Well, there's a third stage of faith uh, that we're going to call the living faith, all right, the stage of living faith. And this is a a stage of faith that I think for most of us, and if you've been around church for a while, uh, we look to and say, you know what, that's the goal, all right, that's the kind of faith that I want to have. And it's not perfect, all right, it doesn't mean that it's not difficult from time to time, but it's a faith that is strong. It's a a faith that endures, you know, and so again, we kind of set our sights on these things. You know, maybe you look around this church even, and there are certain people that you look to and you would say, you know what, that's an example of someone that has this living faith. Again, they've been through some things. There's a strong foundation to what they believe. The the challenge is, the reality is that in order uh, to grow into this uh, living faith uh, stage, you got to go through the second stage of faith, all right? You got to spend some time in the wilderness, and that's what some people refer to as challenged faith, all right? It's that season of challenged faith where we encounter difficulties, 
All right, Jesus said, you know, in this world, you're going to face troubles. And the, the difficult reality is that it's not always a party, all right? And life isn't always grand, and it doesn't always go the way that you like. And so for every one of us, in fact, even if you're not a Christ follower today, I mean, we're going to go through these difficult times. We're going to experience these struggles of faith. And when we go through these seasons, it's common. It's it's ordinary to ask questions like, you know, what, what's God up to? Does he really exist? Is he good? Does he care? You know, is he really out there and is he listening to me? And so the focus of this series is really all about this second stage of faith. You could call it the wilderness. You could call it the desert. It's this, this stage, this journey through challenged faith. And so the question is, how do I get through what I'm going through? All right, some of you are here today. Some of you would acknowledge that this is where I am right now you know, in this difficult season of faith. And so how do I respond to the pain and the tough times? Well, we're going to look briefly uh, at the story, uh, at a story of God's people again today, the, the story of the people of Israel. Uh, we, we, we saw a little bit of them. We told a little bit of their story this past week. But you can read the story of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but we're looking specifically in the book of Exodus today. And even though God created everyone, uh, he called Israel his own people, all right, his own special possession. And he set them apart, the people of Israel, to be a unique inheritance and gave them a very specific, unique mission in this world. But as we talked about, as we discovered last week, back at the beginning of the book of Exodus, uh, we see that they're struggling. All right, we see that uh, they're enslaved in Egypt. And so what God did is he called and raised up a man by the name of Moses and told him that he was going to use him to lead these people out of slavery in Egypt and into a spacious land, a new land, a promised land, a fertile land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's why God said, I have promised that I will bring my people. I've seen their misery in Egypt and I'm going to bring them out of that place of misery and into this new place, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, one important note, and that is that even with Moses, he never mentioned that that journey involved going through the wilderness first. All right, he never mentioned that they were going to spend some time in the desert along their way to this promised land. And so when they left Egypt, they must have immediately encountered some confident faith, right? It's exciting. We've been released. All right, we've been freed. All right, we're on our way. We're on our way to a new place. All right, we've been rescued. No more slave drivers. Look what, look what God has done. But as we saw last week, God didn't lead them directly out of Egypt and into the promised land, but instead, he took them through the desert first. All right, they had to spend some time going through the wilderness. And so all of a sudden, it didn't feel much like rescue at all. They've got nothing to eat. They had nothing to drink. There was no sign that it was going to get any better, at least anytime soon. And so the people that are out in the desert, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they start to grumble and complain. I mean, after all, slavery beats starvation, right? And so the people of God, they start to complain about God. Well, those doubts, all right, led the people ultimately uh, to a place in the wilderness, a place called Sinai. And it was there, their leader, Moses, all right, led the people to the base of this mountain, all right, here in the valley. And while the people, the people of Israel remained in the valley, Moses made his way up the mountain to be alone to spend time with God, which is a good thing, by the way, for every single one of us, you know, just this important reminder of spending time alone, God, and especially for those, you know, that are any kind of leadership, especially spiritual leadership in Moses' case, it's crucial that we spend time with God seeking his wisdom for how to lead, how to live 
our lives. And so Moses, he goes up the mountain to be alone with the Lord, but his people are left in the valley. So think about this. Moses is up on this mountain, all right, and he's hearing from God. The people are left in the valley, and it's somewhat quiet. They've got nothing. You know, Moses is at a place where he's going to end up grabbing onto and holding the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites, again, they've got nothing to hold on to, and something, and sometimes we all just need something to hold on to, right? All right, we need something to grab onto for faith and for confidence. And so what did they do? I want you to see what the people of Israel did in response to this. Let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. Now, do you think these people are maybe becoming a little too dependent on Moses? All right, he's been gone, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and we don't like to wait, right? All right, we don't like to wait when it is so long and things aren't moving and progressing at the rate that we would like them to. And so it says that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain that they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods, all right, notice the small g there, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, notice they're calling him a fellow now. I don't know if their opinion of him is quickly changing. It says, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Now, why? Well, sometimes we just need something else to hold on to, don't we? And then they said, these are your gods, all right? Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now, I read something like this and think, seriously, Aaron? Like, you're the brother of Moses, all right? You're a spiritual leader for these people as well, all right? Aaron, or Moses is your brother, all right? You know, Moses, the one that's up on the mountain right now, the one who is talking with God face to face. And even though Aaron's not there, he's certainly experienced plenty of God along the way. I mean, did he really need to make a golden calf? I mean, is he, why, why, is he really moving in this direction of providing another God for these people? I mean, after all, Aaron was the very one, just like the others, who saw God part the Red Sea. All right, just like we sang ago uh, in, the, in, in that song. All right, he saw his brother raise a staff and the sea was parted. He, th- this is the very same Aaron that saw God send down food uh, from heaven to feed his people. He, he watched as the Lord provided water uh, and meat and protection for the nation of Israel. So does he really think, all right, in this moment of desperation with the people that he can just make a new God with his own two hands? Well, when you, when you put it like that, it sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? That you just simply craft something, you just simply mold something together. But look again, right after presenting the calf to Israel, notice what Aaron says. It was at the very end there, verse 5. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival of the Lord. Now, here's where this gets interesting, maybe a little confusing. I'll try and keep it as clear as possible. Many biblical scholars have noted, all right, that the calf wasn't just some um, arbitrary idea, if you would. That in fact, in this point in history, a golden calf was a very common image used in worship. Worship of something, maybe worship uh, other gods or something like that, especially in a place like Egypt. Again, this is where the people had come from. So they had witnessed this before. They had been around this. Well, when making an image of a golden calf, like in this situation, uh, on most occasions, the symbol of the calf uh, was more so to serve as a pedestal. It was more served as a way of propping up a throne 
throne, you know, ultimately to some other God. And so the golden calf they created, all right, the Aaron fashion, wasn't necessarily, all right, intended to be a God in and of itself, but maybe more of a throne for God. And so consider this, all right? While Aaron grabs hold of this golden calf saying, you know, these are your gods that brought you up out of Egypt, did you notice we also see him proclaiming at the very same time and with this other altar that, hey, tomorrow we'll have a festival for the Lord, all right? The one true God of all things. I tell you that just to say that I I want you to see that Aaron is holding on to, all right, he's fashioned this golden calf while still proclaiming his faith in the one true God at the very same time. And it just got me thinking this, that maybe Aaron is a lot more like us than we realize. Because if you're like me at all and in any way, I mean, maybe when you walk through a season of challenge, faith, and difficulty in your life, it's probably not your immediate response to reject God altogether, all right? That we're done with him, that we abandon him or something like that. I mean, most of us, would say that when we go through difficult seasons, at least for a while, that we still believe in God. But don't we also feel like we got to hold on to something else at the very same time? Or we go reaching to other things for significance. We go reaching to other things for satisfaction. We, we need God plus something else, all right? We want to hold on to God, but we need something else at the very same time. And when you think about it like that, this story makes a lot more sense when you read it with this understanding that Israel wasn't necessarily looking for a substitute for God. They were looking for this add-on of sorts for God, that God wasn't enough. I mean, they still believed in God, but they're tired of waiting. Uh, They still believe in God, but they're tired of the silence. They still believe in God, but they're tired of this journey through the desert. They're tired of being stuck in the valley, and so they just need something else. Is there another place where they can get that buzz? Is there that other place where they can get that high? Something else that they can hold on to, something else that might be able to help them get them through what they're going through. And don't we do that? Aren't we so quick to do that? Aren't we so quick to turn to other things to help deaden the pain of our suffering. And I mean, just think about how many times we'll so quickly go looking for something else. And it's not that we outright abandon God, but it quickly becomes God plus something. And so we don't grab onto golden cows, but maybe we grab onto things like a bottle or we grab onto things like a drug or a substance and hoping that these will numb the pain or Or we turn to things like sexual encounters, whether those be real or digital. I mean, just something that maybe will feel good for a while. Or we turn to things like our job. Or we turn to things like our activities. We turn to things like our busyness. And and so we're overworking or we're overmoving. It's something we do really well. And maybe we find our identity in it. We find significance in it. We find satisfaction in it. And so we still want God. But it's God plus something else. We don't trust that God is is enough. And so we convince ourselves that there must be another option. There must be something else to distract us, something that can ultimately satisfy. I'll just say that I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this God plus something else. I mean, when I find myself, I think, in a season of stress or when I find myself, you know, in a difficult season, I'll so quickly reach for things like worry or anxiety that You know, there's some control issues that come with worry and anxiety. And so if I worry about it, you know, if if the questions become too great, if they continually consume me, well, maybe somehow then I can control them through my worry. Do you realize how ridiculous that is, that 
we do these sorts of things. And so rather than pursue the Lord, rather than cling to Jesus, you know, before I know it, I allow things like worry and anxiety to affect my attitude, to affect things like my emotions and my faith. I'll, I'll get short with my family. I might be physically present, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm mentally present. I, I've checked out. And so worry is the something else I so quickly embrace in my life. Can I ask you this morning, what is it for you? What might it be for you today? Is there a something else for you? Or let me ask you this. And last week, if you were here, you you went through this exercise with us. I asked you to write down, what's that one thing that you're going through right now? Uh, What's the desert for you? What's this season of challenged faith, of struggle and suffering for you right now? What are you going through? And if you were here for that, you remember writing that down on your message notes. If you didn't do that last week, maybe, maybe just for your own sake, write that down right now. Is there a word? Is there a description? Is there a picture that just kind of describes what you're going through? What's that one thing that's challenging your faith? Uh, some of you are probably going through a relational desert right now. And in that relational desert, you feel very alone. And there are hopes and dreams that you have and maybe hopes and dreams of dating someone, maybe hopes and dreams of marrying someone. But right now, there's no one. And so for you, that real worry in the desert and the wilderness is, will I spend the rest of my life uh, alone? For others of you, you've got someone in your life, but, and maybe you're married, but the fact is maybe the desert for you is your marriage uh, right now. Maybe it's a, a financial desert. And so with the financial desert, you know, it's just that fear every day of opening your email. It's that fear every day of answering the phone or going to the mailbox and Uh, because the bills just keep piling up. For others, uh, this season, this season of the wilderness might be a season of tremendous disappointment and some unmet expectations because the fact is that maybe you want a child, but you can't have one. Or you wanted that job, or you certainly didn't ask to get sick, or you've had such high hopes and big dreams and they're gone. And well, most of the time it feels like God is absent too. The truth is that we all spend time in the desert. We're all going to go through these seasons of suffering and difficulty and pain and questions and and frustrations. But I just want you to know this morning that whatever it is for you, I believe that God has you here for a reason today. And I believe he has you here and in this place. And I'm going to wrap up this morning by giving you two questions. Uh, Two questions that I'd love for you to be thinking about, two questions that you're not necessarily going to answer or resolve here this morning, but maybe two questions that you take with you as you consider your pain today, as you consider your desert or your struggles or your realities. But first of all, before I do that, I want to say a couple of things about your pain and about your struggle today. And it's this, if you find yourself in this very difficult place right now, in the desert where it's lonely and can be quiet, I just want to say to you today, first of all, that I'm sorry that you find yourself in a difficult place. And I've been, uh, my sensitivity uh, to your pain has just been heightened this week and just several conversations with some of you uh, who are going through extremely difficult times in your life right now. And if you're in that desperate time uh, and questioning God and really feeling like, you know, your life is coming unraveled or you're not sure how you're going to get from here or get to some other place, what I'm going to say to you right now might sound like simple platitudes, but please know this. It was never God's intention for you to go through what you're going through right now. And uh, he didn't want this for you. But I do want to tell you this. 
He can use it. I know and I believe that God can use this season of difficulty and struggle that you're going through right now, and he can use it to heal you. Uh, He can use it to encourage you. He can use it to increase your faith and to move you to this place of living faith. He can use it not only in your life, but in the lives of the people around you and for his glory and for greater things. He can use it if you'll let him. And now, before we talk about these two questions that I want to give to you today in this season of Challenge Faith, I want to stop and pause here for just a moment, and I want to pray for you, and then I'll finish up and give you these two questions before we close. And so, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me, let me just pray for a moment. Father, I know that there are so many here today that are going through a desert experience of their own, and it can be described in so many ways. For some today, it's lonely. Uh, For others, it's painful. Uh, For others, it, it hurts. It's scary. And so we stop here in this moment right now, and we cry out to you. And God, I just ask that you would give us the courage right now not to rush to hold on to cheap substitutes or add-ons, but that you would give us the strength to get through what we're going through and to learn from it and to grow from it and know that even in our darkest moments of challenge faith that you are here with us and for us and walking with us in our pain and hurt. And so we pray and believe and trust right now that you will reveal yourself to us so that we can hold on to you, that we can grab onto you in greater ways. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So with that, again, two questions for you to consider today. And you might not answer these this morning, but I pray that maybe they'll mean something for you, whether that be this morning, later on today, or even later uh, this week. But two questions. Again, many of you, many of us are holding on to something other than God or in addition to God, all right? And and it's taking place. It's happening, all right? And we're allowing uh, something else to come alongside of God's place, the place that he desires to have in our lives. And so here's the first question for you today if you're taking notes. Uh, It's this. Is there something you need to let go of today? Is there something that you need to let go of today? Is there a God substitute in your life right now? Is there a cheap imitation? Uh, Is there a phony? Is there a, a God plus something? And if there is a something, what's that something for you? Here's the truth. Here's the fact for us. Our God is a very selfish God. And he won't share his position of authority and influence and love with anyone else. And that's why he said that you should have no other gods uh, before you. He said this to the people of Israel. It's true for us today. It's why Jesus said that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and strength. Uh, God wants us to love him with our complete self, with all of our being. He wants us to be completely and absolutely dependent on him for all things. But when things get rough... All right, when things get challenging, think about how quickly we reach to other things. And so we go looking to other things to do for us what only God can do. And so what is it for you? What are those substitutes in your life? What is it that you've been grabbing a hold of, hoping uh, that it might dull the pain? Is there something that you need to surrender before the Lord this morning? Do an honest evaluation, if you would. For some of you, it might be a relationship right now an inappropriate relationship that you're holding on to, that you're pressing into, that you go looking to for gratification and meaning, and you know it's not beneficial, you know it's not good for you, but it's all that you've got right now, or at least you feel that way. For others of you, it could be sex. 
Uh, it could be something like pornography uh, that you're holding on to. For some of you, it could be drinking or abusing another substance, a, a drug, hoping that it will make the pain go away, at least mask uh, the pain. For others, uh, for some, it's wasting time. It's wasting time on our phones. It's wasting time on social media, things like Facebook, or maybe your drug of choice is food. Uh, maybe your drug of choice is spending money, uh, spending money that you don't really have. Maybe we put all of our faith into a, a political candidate or something, and then maybe your hopes are shattered in that. Maybe it's work. Uh, maybe it's activity around school. And uh, while others applaud your success, while others applaud your busyness, you know you're holding on to work or you're holding on to these activities as a way of dealing with your stuff. Now, you may not see these things as your God, but when you hold on to them with your fists closed tight, gripping them with all the passion that you have, you miss the opportunity to receive some of the blessings and the provision that only God can provide for you. And so last week, we talked about these different postures. We talked about the posture of raising our hands and crying out to God, all right, and the difference between folding our arms and complaining before God. Today, I want to give you another posture, and it's this one, and it's this posture of surrender, really. When your hands are out before you, and, but maybe fist clenched tight, do this with me if you would. I know this might feel a little strange, but we'll all do it together. Close your eyes, all right? No one else will be able to see you, but maybe just hold your hands out in front of you right now with your fist clenched and do that for just a moment. And with your eyes closed, I, I want to ask you to do this as you cling to something right now. What could that something be for you? What's that something else in your life? What's that substitute in your life? What's that one relationship? What's that one drug? What's that one activity? What's that one emotion that you've been clinging to, something other than God? And as you cling on to it today, and again with eyes closed, and maybe if your heart's ready, Practice releasing those fists right now as a way of offering that up to God and maybe a prayer at the very same time of, God, please take this away from me. I don't want this in my life any longer. I'm surrendering myself completely to you. What is it that you need to release today? You can open your eyes and put your arms down. I want to give you a second question to be thinking about. If the first question is, is there something that you need to let go of in your life right now? The second question is this. What do you need to hold on to? What do you need to grab a hold of? Uh, if there are things that we need to let go of, if there are idols that need to be removed, if there are these cheap imitations that must go away, you can't just simply remove these things. As Tim Keller says, they have to be replaced. All right, it has to be replaced with something, and we want to replace that with the right thing. And so uh, Philippians 3, uh, for just a moment, Philippians 3, uh, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul is writing these things. He's learned some lessons in life. He knows what it means to have everything and nothing uh, He's gone through these different stages of faith, if you would. And here's his testimony, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Even in the difficulty, here's what he says. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. 
right? I think that's his way of saying, I don't have faith completely figured out, all right? Please don't confuse me as someone who never struggles, all right? Never goes through difficult times. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but look what he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it completely, meaning I've got some lessons to learn still. He says, I'm gonna struggle. He's basically saying, I'm gonna reach and try and grab onto these substitutes, but he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is it that he's grabbing hold on to? He's grabbing onto Jesus. All right, Paul is saying, I, am need, I, I need Jesus more today than I needed him the very first day that I ever encountered him. And what's amazing about God here is that we're reminded that he's not going to leave us empty-handed. All right, he's not going to leave you empty-handed. He's always got more for us. And once you let go of whatever you need to let go of, once you let go of whatever is behind you, once you surrender, well, then you're left with two empty hands, two hands to grab hold of what God has for you. And I think there are some really good things that we can grab hold on to. Uh, first and most importantly is God's presence. Uh, we see that in David. We, we read Psalm 23 together last week here in our service. You know those words, and specifically those words when David says, even though I walk. Man, what does it take to have that sort of mentality that even though I walk, even, th- I, even though I've got to go through the desert, even though I'm going to go through the wilderness, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You know, God may have been with Moses on the mountain, but it certainly doesn't mean he wasn't big enough to be there for the people that were left in the valley to look at the life of Jesus. Look at Jesus leaving his baptism and going immediately into the wilderness where he's hungry and he's thirsty and he's tired and he encounters an enemy who offers him all sorts of substitutes. But Jesus in that moment clings on to the Lord. He clings on to his relationship with the Lord more than anything else. Here's the thing that I want you to see today. God wants to go through the valley with you. All right, he wants to venture through your desert with you right now. And so with one hand, I want to challenge you today to grab completely and absolutely onto his presence. More than anything else, to grab onto God. As I shared this with a friend this past week, you know, who was asking these questions of what does it mean to hear from God or what I, what I got to do to hear from God, I had to challenge him, well, you need to make time every day to be alone with God so that you can hear from God. And so what does it mean for you to grab onto the whole the presence of God? Well, it means making him your priority. And I think the best way to do that is to spend time alone with God every day. And for, for, for most of us, I think that's the first time in the morning uh, to spend time with him, to be alone with him. It's to grab a hold of a Bible, all right, and maybe something like a reading plan and encounter him in Scripture. It's to, 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 to do something like practice prayer. All right, to spend time alone listening to him and crying out to God through our prayer. It's maybe grabbing a hold for you today of one piece of scripture and committing yourself to memorize that scripture so that you can reflect on these things, these promises, and hide them in your heart. Maybe something like Psalm 23. You know, maybe you make that your passage, all right, for the, for the next week or for the next month, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. Maybe a, a passage like Philippians 3, 12 through 14, just asking the Lord to speak to you and encourage you in your desert through these words. Do whatever it takes to grab a hold of God's presence, all right, during this season of challenge faith. This is the most important thing that you can do. And then the other is this. With the other hand, I wanna challenge you if you're not doing this already, you gotta grab a hold of God's people. 
All right, you've got to get people around you and in your life, people who love the Lord. That's why he established the church. He meant for this church to be a place of people who really just get it. We understand. We know what it means to go through difficult things. And so that's why we talk all the time here. We, we believe in the importance of relationships and things like groups, whether you're married, uh, whether you're single, whether you're young or old, whether you're a student, uh, groups where people can, can do life together, groups where people can share and pray for each other. It's why we encourage everyone who calls Genesis their church to, to, to find a place on a ministry team. And not just so that you can serve a role or do a part, as important as that is, but that you can get around people, all right, so that you're not isolated, so that you're not going through life alone. You and I were created for relationships. And if you're living your life in isolation, I want to encourage you today to get around people who love the Lord, people who are following Christ And let these be people that you hold on to as well. God first, more than anything else, but also what he can do through people and what he can do through a church. Quickly, uh, author Brene Brown talks about what it meant for her to be a part of a church during a really difficult season of life. She wrote this. She said, when I returned to faith, I went to church for all the wrong reasons. I, I really went because I thought this is hard and it hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they they tell you to go back to church, and that's what everybody does. And so she says, I went back to church thinking it would be like an epidural, that it would take the pain away. But church was not like an epidural for me at all. She says, in fact, it was more like a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push, it's supposed to hurt. It's going to hurt a little bit. I want to challenge you today to hold on to God's people. And I want to say this, especially to those of you who are maybe new and you're trying to find your way through life all by yourself. Man, maybe let Genesis be a place. Let these people here, maybe these people that you don't even know yet, be people who can come alongside of you in your life right now and love you and encourage you and struggle with you and point you to the Jesus that we've met that that I know, that many of you know, and all of the difference that he can make in your life as well. And we want to be a church and we want to be a family that even in your pain will sit with you in it and will walk with you when necessary all along the way. But we all need something to hold on to. And the question for us, the question for all of us today is, will I choose to trust God? Will I choose to put my faith in him? And is there something that you need to let go of this morning? so that you can grab more firmly onto God. The band is going to sing this song over you. I just want to invite you to remain in your seats. You can sing along if you know it, but maybe take some time to reflect on these words and think, is there a a step that I need to take today? Is there something that I need to let go of so that I can grab more tightly and firmly onto the Lord and Jesus today?